Welcome to The Remix, the video podcast that keeps you in the mix of everything real estate. I am Noel Freisen with the Center for Real Estate Education. I'm Eric Anderson from Alexander Anderson. And we are going to be talking about negotiations today. Um, Eric, why don't you top us off with negotiations? What is the number one thing? Well, one, why do people need to know how to negotiate? Well, there's so many reasons. What's but the number one thing you need to worry about with negotiation is trying to get the information from that other person. So I would say number one skill, listening skills. Listening skills. It's important to listen. And listen, guys. Oh. Listen, yeah. right? Um, you need to know how to negotiate. If you're walking in there cold, if you don't know how to get something out of someone, then you're always going to have the bad deal, right? You always are going to have the bad deal. Tell us about listening. Wh why do you think listening is the most important thing? Because his wife told him. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely, that's one of the reasons. But, but by listening, it actually, most people know what they want, and you don't always know what that other person wants. So by listening, they're going to tell you what they want. And they may not tell it to you directly. You just have to listen and you have to figure it out. And then that will make your life so much easier and you'll get what you want. Well, so I think also the more people talk when it comes to... I'm going to introduce you guys. Oh, wait, now it's... Per, uh, new, new format. Yeah, new format. Wait, we have somebody a new sent format. an email that I was supposed Someone to Someone sent that email. Don't forget, this is season two, right? This is season two. Oh, man, guys. <laughs> Apparently I didn't read my messages. <laughs> Hit the buzzer. Hit the buzzer. <laughs> to myself. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, what were we talking about? Listening listen, and we, reading. I think we should <laughs> Let's introduce the No, 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 continue. I'm a good example of why you should listen, because I clearly didn't. He was showing you what not to do. Yeah, yeah, don't wild card it. <laughs> no, let's so, our non-email opener here is Nima Mary, managing partner of a Mary law firm. And then we have Adam, who does listen and reads. Adam Sperber. I, I only listen and read when I'm getting paid by the hour. <laughs> Adam Sperber, who is the VP of residential at Alexander Anderson Real Estate Group. And this is our power panel. So, guys, do you agree with listening? And tell me about how listening has helped you guys in negotiations. Well, yeah, 100%. Listening is, is key. So, um, you know, when it comes to negotiating, it's all about finding out what, so, so you're negotiating, let's say you're representing a buyer. So on the residential end, you're representing a buyer. You, you have to listen to what the seller wants. You have to find out what works for them. You have to listen to the other agent, the listing agent, and try to figure out what works for them. It also works when you're trying to sell somebody's property and you're trying to get a listing. Listen to them, find out what, what they're looking for, what, you know, what will make them want to work with you over somebody else. So are you saying like listening slash listing? Listening, listening and listing. listing, and listing they listen. go together. First, yes. <laughs> the, the, the two L's. Um, but yeah, I mean, we can dive into some examples a little bit later on of some, some, some times that, you know, we've recently had some tough negotiations that we've had to really do some hardcore negotiations, but it was all based off of listening to find out what made the most sense for the seller. Basically shutting up and letting someone tell you what yeah. they want. And, and, and asking questions, asking the right questions, but letting them answer your questions. Uh -huh. Nima. So um, it's funny because while many people will think I'm not a good listener, which I would say 90% of the time I'm not. I really don't care what people say. 10% um, is when I need to be, and that is when I'm negotiating or business is involved. Um, and I'll explain why. So typically uh, people, and this is my profession, right? It's kind of like when you do depositions, everything else, people will talk themselves into a hole. 
And one of the, in my opinion, key things about people is silence creates discomfort and people will naturally try to fill that silence or that void by talking. And the more people talk, the more they reveal that they otherwise shouldn't. So I think the best analogy is, imagine you're playing poker. Maybe not a lot of you out there play poker, but you understand the concept of it, right? Everyone gets some cards, you look at the cards and you have to try to guess what the other person has and you can bluff, you, you play a game, right? Now imagine if during that game, everyone, one guy is just talking and he's talking about all the cards he doesn't have or all the cards he does have. It makes it a lot easier to be able to break down what's true, what's not true, and where you can go. And when it comes to negotiating, the more you talk, the worse you are. Um, you know, and they even talk about it in Sun Tzu's The Art of War, right? I think the quote mm -hmm. is, um, you know, be silent when, you know, everyone else is loud or something. I love that book, by the way. There is a, a version that's dumbed down for people like me. So Noel bought it for me once. It was like the translation from like... <laughs> so you know the Art of like, War is just one-liners for yeah, like 30 it, pages. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's written, um, it's almost like Shakespearean how it's written for me. I don't know how to explain it. But then so she got Noel bought me a book, book that yeah. translates it from that it was like complicated business, English right? text into like the dumbed-down version of what it means. You should, everyone you should buy it. you 100% get that book and read it. And one of the biggest things that I personally learned from that book, just I know it's off topic, but fight your enemy where they're not fighting you. And we can have a whole episode on that. Yeah, and yeah, guys, that's, that's so key. That's so like when I'm negotiating a deal, first off, these are not, these are not like, okay, this is the golden rule. Everything is unique and specific and it all depends on who has more leverage, right? So I think when we're talking right now, I think we're all speaking from a position where you're negotiating <coughs> on a level playing field. If you're in today's market, your negotiating leverage is really nominal at best because the the, the game is skewed buyer. against you. Yeah. It only if yeah. you're a buyer. If you're a seller, if you're a seller, you're, you're you have all the power. You're, yeah. You're, but you're but wonderful. For, so, yeah. So these are for the most part. So if you listen, people will like like Eric said, like Adam said, people will tell you too much. And what's the point of a negotiation? You're not here to make friends. Like, what do you care? You're never going to talk to that person again. Your goal is to figure out the most you can get off the property, or really what the real number is, and and. Again, if you're not listening, you're talking. And when you're talking, you know, you're just putting it all out there. Eric does this really well. You'll ask him a question and he'll just stay quiet. And then you start talking more. I, I've noticed you do that. You, you, you use silence. Are you sure that's not the old age? <laughs> I was going to say, he's doing that right now. He was dead silent right then. But I did listen to what you just said, Nima, and a couple points in that. So first of all, Nima is an amazing listener when it comes to... Mm -hmm when he takes life seriously and he's helped me limited times through certain situations where I needed an objective person to listen and he was able to identify things that that I didn't catch and I consider myself an amazing listener um, and you could ask my wife she'll agree with that um, but <laughs> <laughs> on her behalf <laughs> yeah but um part of part of listening is is letting that other person give you the signals. So when, when Nima brought up poker, like I just started to learn how to play poker over the last three weeks. And um, it's a challenge. I don't understand the game at all. But when you sit there and you watch and you try to identify, and when we use the word listening, listening doesn't just mean listening with your ears. You can listen with all your senses. Mm -hmm. You can listen with, with your eyes. You can listen with um, the sounds that you're hearing, you can you can listen with examples of, of what someone's body language is. There's so many ways to listen and identify what's coming from that person. Um, 
even even you can listen with your mind. What are the words that are coming out? So it's not just about like how they're coming out, right. but what are their choices of words? Um, and all of these things come into play with how your response should be. And one of the things that I like to do is just sit there and wait. And I find myself sometimes getting really excited of, over a certain topic. I used to do this more when I was younger, but now I've I'd say I'm like 90% of the way there, but I can identify when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to, and I'll actually bite my tongue. Um, so you physically bite your tongue? I will physically, but I don't do it out, <laughs> outwardly where people can see it, but I'll bite my tongue internally. Unless you're wearing a mask. Yeah, unless I'm wearing a mask. But um, you have to let that person get out everything, uh, especially in what I call a negotiation. Now, there are examples when you don't want that to happen, which Nima will tell you, because if you're probably in a mixed group, so let's say Adam and I are talking and it's just the two of us, I don't have to worry about what anyone else is saying, okay? So I, I can banter back and forth with you mm -hmm. and there's gonna be no issue coming out. But if now we have a third party like Nima, okay, and I'm, and I'm back and forth with you and I let you say everything that you wanna say, something may come out that I don't want Nima to hear and it could screw up the whole negotiation. So that would be an example where I would wanna jump in and cut you off. Right. Yeah, actually, to that point, um, guys, everybody has different negotiating styles. And the worst thing you can do is negotiate with another person because your styles can conflict and then you guys can just blow Aren't everything up. all negotiations, up. though? Nego oh, negotiating with a third person with so, you. So Got let's it. assume Adam and I wanted to buy Got a property. Yeah. And Got we it. sat at a meeting and we're the buyers, the sellers are on the other side. Mm -hmm. One of us should be the designated negotiator because if there's two, we can have two different styles. It doesn't mean one person's style is better than the other. It means that style conforms to that person's personality. But when you mix the two, it could just become a shit show, right? Because you could start talking about things that really aren't like that aren't relevant. You know, when I negotiate, I put a bunch of stuff out there and I know what I don't care about. And then I concede what I don't care about, knowing that I've given a concession, right? Or else ultimately I also have this style where I have no problem getting up and leaving. Right, I'm okay to lose deals. It, it happens all the time, um, and maybe the person you're with isn't. And maybe, maybe I'll give you the best. I'll give you a prime example. So I was doing a transaction, and I was prepared to walk away from that deal. Right, I was negotiating for a client, and I knew the other side would break. I read them, and I knew that it was just a, a it was a pissing match. Right, it was a matter of you know we're we're playing uh, what's that game chicken where the two cars go at each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I knew that you just had to stay tight. But I and I, I told my client, trust me, right? My clients trust me to negotiate for them. It works all the time. Settlements. I just had a phenomenal settlement agreement, and the reason was I didn't budge, and they jumped up and down, they yelled, <coughs> but you don't budge. So I said, okay, you know what? Thank you so much for your time, and I went to get up to leave. And my client didn't. So mm. what happened? Red flag. Was, what happened was everything, all his leverage was gone out the window right instantly yeah. yeah so he was and i i and again after it was all over um i was told that the number on the other side was exactly where it would have ended up where i wanted it to and they would have come down so if there's two people negotiating you know and you know but by client i meant like we were trying to purchase a property together right it was more of a partnership less of a client but um ultimately when it comes down to dealing negotiating um Pick one designated person and let that person handle it. 
And, you know, if, well, let's talk about what you had said, like you were ready to get up and walk away and the other person wasn't. How do you that hard nose, like when you think negotiation, right? You think of someone being a shark out there, like, you know, being really tough and rough. But is it always that way? Absolutely not. Sometimes it can be like as smooth as a baby's rear end. You and, and you don't want it to know. be. You, you don't want it know. to be tough. If, if you're doing a good negotiation. So if I'm negotiating with a listing agent and I'm negotiating with them, I don't want them to know that I'm negotiating with them. In a way, I try to I try to become friends with them before, build, build that before. relationship mm -hmm. over anything. It could be anything. Maybe we grew up in the same town or we know some similar people, whatever it is. And then you start asking them questions and start mixing them in there. So you're negotiating and you're asking and you're getting information without them even really realizing that they're divulging some of this information. And, and like Nemus, that's, that's a style, guys. Yeah. That's a unique style. You lure them in, you break down that boundary and make them feel like you're their friend. And then they become uncomfortable with being rude to you. Mm -hmm. That's a unique style. It's not that that is a style. And it, it works it's, in today's market. It works great. And, and when you're representing a buyer, especially on the you know on the residential side in the commercial side too, I guess, but on the residential side, when you're trying to negotiate for a buyer, it's so tough out there. Um, you have to become friends with these people and you have to make them want to work with you. But then, you know, you mentioned before about you can talk yourself out of it. So know when to essentially shut up because if you say too much, like sometimes I have buyers walk into a house and they say, this house is amazing. It's the best house ever. I love it. I don't want to lose it. And all your negotiating power is gone. Right. right. Like, so I always tell my buyers when I go in, just say nothing. You know, you don't know if they're watching you on camera. You don't know if they're sitting in the other room or they're listening or something. So just keep your mouth shut and we can talk about it outside. We'll walk away. We'll go to Starbucks. We'll go to get a cup of coffee and we'll talk about it there. But don't express how much you love the place because then all your negotiating power is gone. Just like what you were saying about. Can I give you guys a hilarious story that happened yeah. this week? So I consider my dad the ultimate art of the deal, right? Um, this market is savage. Every Bidding wars left and right. There's a property he wants in Bergen County. And listing price was like, I think, 385 So my dad walked in and offered 210 So this is style. So the agent's like, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, but he's like, well, that's my offer. And listen, she knows him, my dad well. She's been her, his agent for a long time. And she that's how she keeps his business. Offer 210 And they were like, no, you're crazy. Like, get out of here. So he kept going up and up and up. And, you know... And there's other people were offering ask. His offer was the best because it's cash two week close and I don't care. But then they're like, well, does he want to come see it? So he does his walkthrough after they've already kind of come to terms on a price. First thing he does is start talking about how bad the roof is, how crappy the house is. The <laughs> hilarious part was they replaced the roof like three years before. It was a brand new roof. <laughs> like just everything he, he saw. His glasses at home then. Just no, just everything he saw was the worst thing he could ever look at. Just, just this is horrible. Like this place probably has lead. Just nonsense half the time, right? But at the end of the day, he really wanted that property, right? He, and I knew he really wanted the property. Did he get it? Yeah, of course he got it. So it, that so. Both and of and your you got five grand off for the roof. But both of your <laughs> stories, there are there are occasions where that could backfire. Right. So that's why it's very important to listen. And if you if someone like Adam is is working with you and says, Hey, let's hold hold back our feelings, or or someone like your dad who's like giving the worst case scenario, if you have someone that really loves their house or loves their property, or let's say they built this building and you piss them off by saying, oh, this building sucks. Meanwhile, they're like, well, my dad built this 10 years ago. So there are occasions where you have to be able to watch their body language and listen and understand who 
is the seller. So yeah, that could backfire mm -hmm. if you do something like no, that. No, no. So I'll preface yeah. with that's a hundred percent right. And the difference is, um, you know, someone like my dad is prepared for it to backfire, and he'll walk away if if sure. over five thousand dollar difference. If you right, but that's right. because sorry, that's because if you what heard, what you heard Nima say earlier, I don't care what people think when it came to that to the deal making part of it. If you don't care if you get the property or not, then you're in an amazing negotiating price. Yeah. And your dad, I know, is a, a invests in multiple properties. So if he loses one, he'll get the next one. So if for him, it's all about getting that deal, right? Well, he, he told me something a long time ago. This is like when the 08 collapsed. And honestly, I still play it out in my head. Um, you know, we've had arguments about, I'm like, who cares? It's $10,000, 10 grand, who cares? If you want to just get it, it's irrelevant difference. And, you know, he made a comment to me. He goes, a good buy is whatever market you're in, up or down, you could always still sell it for a profit. Mm -hmm. So his idea is you're supposed to always buy even lower than a bad market because you're secure. But again, that's different because a lot of people are chasing deals to start, you know, like, you know, to Eric's point, everyone's different and he's in a comfortable position where he'll wait it out for the right, you know, the perfect storm where someone needs to sell and he's got cash on hand and ready to move. So, to, you know, to Eric's point, you know, you have to be ready to walk. But you away. know your buyer, so yeah. so your dad is the buyer. You know what his rule, what he needs. So again, yeah. you have to listen and know what they are. In in let's let's say in residential though, sure. if you went in and you were saying this is horrible, <coughs> this is horrible, this is horrible. You're yeah. probably going to put yourself in the position where they don't even want to entertain your offer because they don't think that you really want it. Correct. So so especially in today's market, you know, you know, like you were just saying, I just submitted an offer maybe five days ago and there were 30 offers on this house god a hundred grand above asking same just about carl says in this market it doesn't matter if it's cash or not 15 percent above asking 25 percent about asking it's crazy. but here's where here's where it worked out in our favor and i've had this happen now twice so they don't <coughs> typically so you submit they say best and finals do friday at two o'clock after that that's it. Whatever the best offer is, they take. I've had two scenarios in the last two weeks where the listing agent actually came back to me and said, here, this is what we have on the table. If you match it, it's yours. Why did they do that? Because I built up that relationship. They wanted to work with us. They liked my clients. They liked our, the package that we put together. So that's what I'm saying. That's why it's probably the biggest thing How did thing you, you know do. how to put that package together? How did you know what that broker would want? Because I asked questions and I listened. He went to a real, he went to a real estate school. Yeah, center real estate education taught him very well. <laughs> <laughs> because, he, because he listened to the situation, he read that other broker. He read whether or not they needed a quick deal or what the sellers were looking for, and he was able to make that and, into and, a pretty. Picture. And you should never. So so all right. So you're submitting an offer. I, like I do, probably two thirds of what I do represents buyers, and maybe one third on the selling side, on the listing side. So on the buying side. Because that's the tough side right now. If you get a listing, it's gold. It's going to sell itself. As long as you have somebody good there that's going to take good photos, it's going to sell. Um, you know, it's, it's, you just have to have somebody on your side that's going to help you negotiate the highest price and figure out the terms and all of that. And that's why you hire, that's why you hire a realtor. Right. Um, but on the buying side, the, the biggest thing, you know, that one of the biggest things that I've learned is never, never submit a blind offer. I don't care if you're going in at full price, full price plus 20%, always ask questions. You know, I'll give you an example. There was a house, we were going to submit an offer, my clients above asking, and it was going to be 810 just a few days ago. And I called up the listing agent and I had a powwow with them. And before I even knew it, they were saying, no, you're just going to essentially waste your time at that number. So I was able to pick their brain after about a 15 minute phone call. And this is a big agent, pick their brain as to where we need to be. And my clients ended up coming in 50 grand higher and it put them in the running for the house. Okay. So by listening and finding out what made sense for the sellers, finding out what terms they want, what type of closing they want. Do they want to rent back? Do they want limited inspection? Like what 
would make the most sense to the sellers. Well, Jessica wants to know when yeah. you're talking about what would make the most sense to the sellers, can, sellers, can you negotiate items like washer and dryers and backyard furniture saying, we'll buy this from you, we'll buy that you from you? I, you know, typically, so washer and dryer, 90 some odd percent of the time comes with the house. It's a major appliance, washer, dryers, fridges. She's just throwing those, but I think, out. When it comes to like- Has anyone tried to actually move like a washer? They're so heavy. <laughs> you yeah. don't want like, to. I, no, I would pay someone to- Every now and then, they're heavy. Dryers are not like when it comes to like outdoor furniture, you know, to be honest with you, a lot of times I like to leave that outside the deal a little Mm -hmm. bit. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I include it, but most of the time I like to leave it separate because I don't want like a patio set to be what sours a million dollar deal for a thousand dollars or something like that. So I tell, you know, I'll help facilitate it, but I let them pay separately. It's not in the contract. It's completely separate uh, discussion. Okay. When it comes to things like that or furniture. So smart too from a legal standpoint, right? Because then you have issues with a mortgage, right? Because you don't delineate the difference in price and they're mm-hmm. like, well, it didn't appraise out. And you're like, well, actually 10 grand was for all the furniture in the house. It's not. In the- so if, if, if you don't have an experienced agent like Adam who doesn't know to separate them, at the end of it, you do run into those problems or those issues. It should yep. always be done separately because one has nothing to do with the other. Very good point. Very yep. good point. And you also, as you said, you could aggravate someone if they had a brand new patio set that's two years old that they spent ten grand on, and you're offering two thousand dollars, even though you were right on with the house and the value of the house. They don't, they that wasn't as real for them as that patio set is. Mm. So you've just instantly created that sour relationship. And, and wait until you're under contract to really get that stuff because that could sour the deal before it even starts. I, I've also noticed that people are doing it after they're in contract, and I, they're getting good deals on furniture because I think once people now are like, okay, I'm moving. They realize that it's actually a lot of work and it's expensive. And it costs money. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's tiring. So, <clears throat> and they're like, you know what? They're usually going to a new place and want new furniture anyway. So they usually are amenable, and you end up getting it cheaper because now they're like, well, if they don't buy it, it they're actually doing me a favor and they're giving me money because mm-hmm. I have to get rid of it otherwise. Good point. So, again, the main thing here, our takeaway for today is is listening. Listening. So you have to create opportunities that allow you to listen. So what Adam said before, he would never submit a blind offer. Even though he could have an offer that's $200,000 over ask, he's still gonna call, he's still gonna talk to that person that he submitted the offer to um, before he submits it, and he's gonna build that report and listen to what they have to say, because that could give him direction as to what to do with that offer. And it could also be too high. So I don't, so if, if I, let's say an asking price is 800 and my client's gonna offer 850. I, when I get the listing agent on the phone, I don't tell them, hey, I'm writing up an offer for 850. I never do that. I always lowball it. I say, hey, my client's going to offer 800, 810, something significantly lower than they're going to offer. The reason I do that is then I wait and see what the list, at that point, I keep my mouth shut, say nothing. Wait and see what the listing agent says. They're either going to tell you, don't waste your time, or they're going to tell you, okay. And you're going to, you can kind of ask, how is that in relation to what you currently have? Now, if you go back to your buyer and say, hey, I know you're going to offer 850, but I think you can offer 810, and it'll still put us in good shot of getting this house. Obviously, I'm not going to lose this house over a few thousand dollars. They're going to love you forever. Because that's exactly what you're there to do is save them money. So you, you, Adam, you give a lot of great examples on the buying end. Yeah. What about flip the role on the listing end? Yeah. Right. How would you apply the principle to if you were listing or you were selling a house? I mean, nowadays it's 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 a it's a different market. So every house you have, you know, there's not a lot of properties on the market. You're going to get multiple offers, and 
it, you know, there's there's different things that make an offer strong, right? So dollars and cents is probably number one, but not by much. Terms are equally it's as important. Today's market, don't they? Oh, terms. 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 So okay. so when I when I say terms, I mean mortgage, appraisal, and inspection. Because let's say you know there's a house and they're asking eight hundred, and you have an offer from a buyer. You're representing the seller. You have an offer for nine hundred. If that house only appraises at eight hundred, and they're not going to waive the appraisal. It's useless. They could offer $2 million for that house. It doesn't mean anything yeah. because there's, it's not going to sell for more than 800 unless they're willing to come up with the difference. So terms are almost equally, if not equally as important. I didn't mean as much terms. I meant about listening. So let me be, I'll be a little more specific. Sure. There's an area that specifically interests me. So credibility, right? So you're now the listing agent and we talked about why you don't put in blind offers. Mm -hmm. So let's put it on the other end. What a listing agent or a seller will think if they get a blind offer versus if they've had a conversation with an agent who's identified themselves, sure. built a rapport, and now comes in with an offer that may not be the same or as high, but maybe has a little bit more credibility because there's a face to the number. And that goes a long way. That goes a very long way. Because so as a listing agent, you get to kind of advise your client as to who's going to be the best. Because look, like I said, you could have five offers. If it doesn't get to the closing table, it's useless. It's just a piece of paper. It means nothing. Mm -hmm. If six weeks from now it dies for one reason or another, it's completely useless. So if you've done your due diligence and you say, look, I have two offers. This one's 20 grand higher, I know. But you know, I I've spoken to the lender. I've spoken to the agent. We have that relationship. I'm confident they have a good job. We've done everything. And they've, they've given me all the information necessary. I think that this one has a higher likelihood of making it to the closing table. You can help push that offer through because in the end of the day, you want the same thing as your sellers do. You want to close. Mm -hmm. You don't want to, like I said, you don't want six weeks. You don't want to be starting over, mm -hmm. over and, 10 and grand. So what you're saying, it's not just about the specific words that are coming out of their mouth. You mm -hmm. can hear in their voice, well, we have to check with the mortgage person or well, yep. uh, they're wavering. And you can take the person who really knows that this is set, this exactly. is set, this is set so per other, perfect, other than someone else. Perfect example as to what Noel just said. If you ask a question to someone during a negotiation and they repeat that question to you, it means that they're stalling, they're buying time before they have to answer. So whatever you ask them is actually floating around in their head and they're like, oh my God, is this, how do I answer this question? It means that they don't have a strong position on it. So it could mean you could, you could be asking them, what's the time frame on the sale of their house? You could be asking them, would they include something? You could be asking them, what's the price? Yeah. You know, if they take that time and take that pause before they just come back with you at an answer, it means that they don't know. Whereas if someone just comes back and you say, hey, what's the selling price in your house? And they go, $800,000. So that could also mean, A, that they're shooting for the stars and they're trying to come too high with something. Um, or it could mean that they just know that's their bottom line. So it's really how you, how you listen to what that response is, super important for negotiating. Oh, and also all these negotiations, the biggest thing. So you know anybody that, that comes to me and says, how do I negotiate this? What do I have? The initial conversation, do it in person or over the phone never via text or email yeah. because you can't read how they're responding to it. Like I said, if I throw out a number, you can't judge. They can say, okay, write it up. And you have no idea how they're truly feeling about it if they text you back or if they email you back. So try to get them on the phone, have that conversation, you know, like I said, build that relationship and, and, and then you'll, you'll get a lot of information out of them that you won't get via text or email. It's so super important. That, so can we touch actually on another thing too? I don't know, this might be a little bit off our sort of scope, but um, we're talking about listening now, like you and your client versus them and their client. What about listening to your client? Sure. What about being able to identify really 
not just what your client is telling you is important to them, but what actually is important to them, what what, they're, what is not. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you go about doing that in terms of when your client tells you, because they probably tell you, I want this, I want that, but you know, realistically, Very important. you and, have to know what they really want. There's a, there's a, there's a little joke in the, in the industry, <laughs> buyers are liars. So that actually is a very good point. Buyer, and we buyers, can, liars. Well, Adam's going to tell you. Uh, I never lie. You'll, you'll have people say, look, I'll... Um, How old are you? <laughs> 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 <Wow>. <laughs> it's for 21st. Um, you'll have people tell you, look, I'm willing to spend up to, you know, oh, I'll spend a million dollars. And then next thing you know, they're looking to spend, uh, and speaking of which, I have a buyer calling me right now. Um, not a lying buyer. Good buyer. Yes, 810. <laughs> what was that? 810. What? If they went so, what was the number you were just going to say? Was it 800s? Uh, no, no, eight, eight twenty. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, like Eric said, buyers are liars. And it's the, the reason we say that is because they're going to say, I want this, this, and this, but then they're going to find a house and they're, it's going to have nothing that has to do with what you're asking for right. or what they've asked you for. It could be more expensive. It could be a smaller property, less bedrooms, whatever different it is, town. different town, different area entirely. So kind of keep an open mind when you send, like if you're sending properties over, let's say to a buyer, keep an open mind. Don't don't just say, okay, uh, they only want three bedrooms or they only want four. Uh, you know what? If this is a three bedroom and maybe you can finagle an extra bedroom in or do something like that, send it to them. Let them be the ones that say no to it. Because if you don't, they could be upset with you for not sending it over. Or find it with someone else. Or find it with somebody else and you lose out 100%. Mm -hmm. All it takes. So what I do is like when I'm searching for a client and I'm looking for a buyer, I go on the MLS and I, if they say I'm willing to spend up to 700 I, I'm not trying to get them to spend more, but I set the search for 750 or 800 right. because I know if I find them a house for 730 and they love it, most people are going to be able to swing the extra 30 grand. And it's not that I'm trying to get them to spend more, but in the end of the day, I want them to like the house and I want them to love it. And at the end of the day, people don't always realize that that extra 10, 20, 30 grand doesn't make that much of a no. difference in your mortgage. It doesn't because it's really 360 payments. Right. And to give you an example right. with, with listening and, and in a commercial environment, sometimes people, business owners will come to you and say, hey, I need to go and I want to buy this facility. I want to buy this building. And then you start talking to them and you start understanding what their needs are. They don't really need to buy something. It would actually be better for them if they went and leased something. So there's an opportunity where you can show what you've heard and what you've interpreted from what they're telling you and you're able to get them something better and help them move into a better situation. So listening is super important. Well, that brings up Listening to what Eric said in Rent vs. Own, episode six, season one. <laughs> <laughs> Always yes, buy, never we leave. Did do the rent I, I do have to own. say, we're all taking this listening very seriously because nobody has cut anybody know, off this entire time. Good, but and challenge accepted. <laughs> With Eric talking about commercials, so as you guys know, we our panel is very diverse. Uh, Nima is a lawyer, but he also does a lot of investments. Eric does. Commercial. I thought it was because I was Persian. <laughs> <laughs> commercial, residential, Your I didn't know. and does investments. Adam is just amazing at residential, <laughs> and he can help, and he's going to help me soon of course. through any kind of residential hurdle. So what are the nuances or differences between negotiating with investing, negotiating with commercial, and negotiating with re um, that's a great. That's a great question, and Pro I'm going to jump on that one. Customer. I think, I think she's asking... It doesn't matter whether it's and it's definitely not property. It's just the negotiating part of the 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 people. I think right. is what you're looking at. So. No, no. But so you like so. What I meant was negotiating like from the other side or negotiating with your client. Because at the end of the day, you're also negotiating with your client on every well, deal, there, right? There should sure. be different nuances with investing rather than residential. So there are. So there's <laughs> there's the the 
you have to know the education level of the person you're speaking with and the people you're dealing with. And when I say education, I don't mean school education. I mean life education or experience education. So if I'm negotiating with Nima's dad, who let's say he came from uh, another country uh, and never went to college, which I don't, I'm making this up, but never went no, to he's college. Got, like, here. two PhDs from Columbia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have someone who, in this case, is super well educated. You don't need to to talk to him in a certain way, and you don't need to go over certain things with him. Whereas someone who doesn't have that education or doesn't have the, the experience in owning property, you're going to have to talk to that person in a different way. And the words that you choose and the experience that you share all have to be catered to make that person feel comfortable. Because if you have the first-time home buyer or that business person who started a bakery and it's now their first time to go out and and buy some building and you're talking to them over their head, you're just not going to going to get anywhere. Blank out. It's it's going to yep. be a, it's going to be a nightmare for them and for you because you're not going to be able to help them. Well, and what they call it what, KYC, right? Know your client. Yeah. There you go. One there's a term for it. I thought like you were PYT. saying Kentucky Fried Chicken. No, no, no. <laughs> they, they, they they have like uh and it, it, even yeah. if you're if KFC. KFC. Right. Yeah, of course. PYT is a pretty young thing. Yeah. That's me. Today's my birthday, guys, just yes. so you know. We heard that already. Yeah. No, well, oh. they haven't heard that already. Uh, it's her birthday today. It's we'll cover that later. Today. She's expecting gifts. Her Venmo is. <laughs> exactly. Um, one of the big things, that, so I, I work with investors as well, and the big thing is emotions. That's the difference between emotions. residential and investing, and maybe on the commercial side too. So when you're, you're, you're helping somebody buy a house, you know, they're their hearts in it. It's a, it's a different style because they're going to live there. They're going to raise their family there. So if they have to spend a few dollars more to them, sometimes it doesn't matter because they're going to live there for the next 30 years. When it comes to investing, if the dollars and cents don't make sense, there's very little emotions involved generally. So there's a good chance that they're just going to walk away and they're not going to care about that property anymore because it just literally has to make sense on paper. Do you guys ever put emotions into your investments or, or when you're looking at commercial I'm stuff? very emotional and I'll answer for Nima. He's not emotional at all. Yeah. Adam, I think could go both ways. Yeah, it depends on it depends on what I'm working on. It, yeah, I, I will say this: I'm not emotional at the deal, but I, I do get pissy, right? If I think that it wasn't handled right. Sure. So Eric knows. I've, 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 I I was complaining about some unrelated thing a couple weeks ago, but How about yesterday. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I was to complain to Adam. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't care about the deal. You know, ultimately, uh, I find that I find that it, you have to train yourself to be devoid of emotion. That sounds horrible, right? Sometimes my wife is like, I think you're like a robot sometimes, right? Like, and it's weird because it's hard to switch between having an emotion and not, but it is really an acquired trained task. If you act, this is my personal opinion, I could be wrong. If you're acting off of emotion, right? Emotion has no basis. It's just a feeling you have. It could be right, it could be wrong. And it leads you to make bad impulsive decisions. I wouldn't say that emotion has no basis. You do get a feeling about something. You know that something is a little is, tingle is, in your gut, right? You know that something is we right. We call or that not gastrointestinal right. problem. <laughs> yeah. you, know you, you might need some Pepto. So so but, guys, your brain is not in your gut. So if you have a gut feeling you're, you're, excuse my language, your asshole's a lot closer to your I gut than your brain is. With that, but we'll, we'll go with that. It's no, but what, what, there, what is, yeah, when it comes to like residential, like, dollars. you know, people walk in and you just have to think of the bigger picture too. Like you can have some emotions involved because you are going to live there. You're going to raise your family. You're going to have your kids playing in the yard. But in the end of the day, it has to make sense financially. Like don't overextend yourself. Don't waive contingencies. Don't waive inspections and things like that just to get the house because you might shoot yourself in the foot. 
Like, I'm not saying don't be emotional because it's an emotional process. You're buying a house. But on the other side of it, you have to think about it clearly. Sure. You have to think of it financially. But as that well. goes back to Noel's question. What's there are differences in scenarios. There is a scenario. Every scenario requires a unique negotiating tactic. Mm -hmm. If you're negotiating in business where the person you're negotiating for doesn't care because if he doesn't buy this house, he'll buy 40 others then you have to act that way and you don't care. You there are no emotions. There are nothing. Get up from the table. Who cares? The deal is a deal. It's $210,000 or it's go scratch. If you're negotiating because this person that you represent wants that house because that was the house that his grandfather built and this is the first time he's ever had to buy it back and then you F that up because you were trying to be too businesslike. No, if something has an intrinsic value to you, then you know it costs what it costs. That you can't look right. at that as a business deal. But like what I call an you know kind of an idiot concept is if you go to a house and it has a pond and there's a swing, and you're just picturing in your mind that you know what my kid's gonna swing on that swing, and you create this image in your head of this picture perfect backyard with your golden retriever, and you're like, I need to have this house. Well, guess what? You played yourself. The swing is like nine dollars, and it's not gonna be that fun when you're dying of mold poisoning because you waived all your contingencies because of this hallmark. Where your you house is your falling head. down. You could yeah. Have a pond in another backyard. And then right. Your kid doesn't even play with it. Yeah. Buy a shitty house for less, and then dig a <laughs> hole, <laughs> put your holes in it, and make your own yeah. pond. Right. Like. Just get a swing set. Think right. pragmatically. Don't, my opinion, don't think emotionally because, sure, I mean, Noel said emotion stands for something, right? But again, Noel is the buyer here and Noel wants something for her family. We're the people who are usually selling to somebody like Noel, mm -hmm. which is what we take advantage of. Let's be honest. That's why bathrooms, kitchens, <laughs> and a couple plants. When I sell a house, I make sure that that yard is so pretty with little flowers. Why? Because I know some consumer is gonna come in there and they are going to visualize their life. Do you bake cookies too? Sometimes I have cookies and stuff put in front, huh? right? Or I'll stage. You know that Noelle's gonna walk in there and be like, oh my God, the boys are gonna play and then they're gonna just go swimming and we're gonna be the house. You're yeah. a sweetheart and that <laughs> is not a bad thing. But understand that there are people who know that, that, that type and that they, they specifically target it. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you are emotionless and you look at the flowers and realize that flower costs $3, I can dig a flower and plant it anywhere I go, and you don't get caught up in the moment, you can see the deal for what it is. Right. Guys, you're buying a bunch of wood and that wood has a bunch of other stuff in it and everything else is changeable. Everything else is malleable. You don't need someone else's painted wall that you like the color of. A gallon of paint's like, well, now it's like 60 bucks, but it used to be in Home Depot, right? It's a lot cheap. Paint your own wall wherever you want. Have vision. So know your customer. Know the person you're negotiating for. Try to have that discussion. And you can even go and talk to the client and say, look, are we going to negotiate this in a business point of view or are we going to negotiate this from an emotional point of view? And do then you, you actually it? help it. What do you want? And, and, and I do that to people. I'm like, look, if you lost this house over $10,000, would you be pissed? And if the answer is yes, and you know that there's a competitive bidding war here because you were smart, like Adam said, and you spoke to that person in advance, just go in at your absolute highest and best number possible. So that way that you know with yourself, you hey, I, I gave it my all, mm -hmm. 
and I lost it because someone was able to give it more than me. And, and that's what I always tell people. Sorry, I don't mean to, I don't mean to no. interrupt. So that's what I always tell people when they say, you know, it, like, there are occasions where I can't get information out of the listing agent. Mm-hmm. There are times if they're doing their job correctly, a lot of times they're going to keep a lot of they're going to keep their mouth shut in today's market because they'll hopefully drive up the price. So there are times when I can't get information, and 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 my buyer will ask me, "What do I offer?" And I say, "Look, you know, I can't tell you what somebody else is going to offer for this house or what they're willing to pay for it. Right? I can only tell you is." offer the number that you're comfortable that if you don't get it, you can say, just like Eric said, you went in with your best foot forward yep. and you're not going to lose sleep over it. So, so I just want to say one thing. Guys, the law actually agrees with what both of you are saying. Ah. The, oh. the, the law doesn't the agree law with by being meaning, meaning state of New Jersey law case, or meaning case, case law. law in general. So our courts find that every property is unique in nature because no two properties are created equal. And that's why you have things like specific performance. So Case law and the way most people think and the way our laws are designed say that there is a extrinsic factor to property. It's not like I explained it as just being wood on a piece of property that's replicatable. So what everyone else is telling you is actually the way that most people think and that's the way our laws continually are designed around because they say if someone breaks a contract, the, the court systems don't think that, okay, they can just compensate that with money. They say this property is unique mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it is special and you can't get it again. So you shouldn't lose your right to it if someone breaks the contract and says, I won't sell to you. The court can force to sell that property. So to that point, the the way our legal system is designed really is, does give it an emotional factor actually. Oh, the law has a heart. I yeah. love that. That's why I went to engineering school first. I love that. To expunge me of emotion. So let's go back to, <laughs> let's go back to a negotiation point. So earlier in this conversation, because I was listening, Nima made a comment about how he goes to a table with, and I'm going to oversimplify what he said. He goes to the table with 10 requests, 10 negotiating requests. He knows in advance that eight of those 10 are BS. Um, and the other two are the really important ones. So he goes in, he puts all 10 on the table, and then as you negotiate, you use those as throwaways. Because if you're going in there with just your two most important requests that are almost like things you can't live without, and you don't give the, that other person on the other side something to win, it's almost impossible to get through that negotiation. I just realized we're screwing ourselves. Anyone watching our podcast, is taking if they notes? see an offer from us, they're going to be like, Nima, that asshole. Let me see which two of these he really likes. I'm going to have to start having like aliases, like Joe Schmo is putting in an offer. Here are his 10 requests. MD has a question, and I want to use his question to sort of flip it from a seller's market to mm-hmm. a buyer's market. Sure. He wants to know, do we think that the house prices will go down and what you guys think the percentage of them will go down is? So I'll let you answer that, but when they do go down and it becomes a buyer's market do the negotiation tactics change yeah you're basically like please explain to me e equals mc squared like that's the question he just asked yeah well yeah he wants to know when housing prices will go down if i knew i would be like warren buffett and md we'd all be so rich if my if my aunt had nuts she'd be my uncle like we don't we don't see them going down to answer your question (laughs) yeah with very loose guidelines we don't see them going down in the immediate future but what comes up does eventually go down. I mean, you can't have a. It's not going to go down by the time you, I you, buy. You, Let's put that, let's you, put that out there. Just like the stock market, you're not going to have a bull market forever, right? Where it's going up. It can't go up forever. At some point, it will come down. But over time, I do believe it will go up. So I still think it's a good time to buy, 
even if even if six months from now or a year from now or two years from now it goes down a little bit, the interest rates could be five percent then. Right. So take that into account right, too. But when it turns to a buyer's market, it's completely different. Is there are there different things you're going to do to negotiate? So the so just to the earlier portion of your question, um, this is a once I think in a lifetime unique cycle. Typically, our economy fluctuates on a ten year basis. We are well past that ten year mark where an adjustment is due. Um, we also ran into a something that's never happened in the world before, which and that's not true. In the last in, hundred in, years, in, in modern economic times, in our lifetime, at least. two things actually: a global pandemic and, and the war. Now, well, war all the time, right? Yeah. Whether it's Iraq, it's cutting off oil supply. The war impacts things, but it, it COVID because we printed more money in a matter of two years than I think our entire deficit over the last hundred years uh, combined. Yeah. So. You have a situation where our economy and every model that existed now has variables inputted into it, and it, it's having a difficult time spewing it out. Then when you talk about real estate, while economics, the market, and people's home economics is a huge factor, you guys, the one thing that people never talk about is population, supply, demand, right? So, so let's talk about how that affects negotiating specifically. Supply and demand? Yeah, sure. So look, if you have a, if you have, you, we live in New Jersey, right? And you know, a lot of people joke about Jersey, but the amount of wealth in North Jersey, I mean, the statistics are astronomical in terms of the rest of the country. Um, the what you have here is you have one of the most densely populated counties in the country. I think in Bergen County, right? Um, and when you have a situation where you have, even if the economy sucks, if there's 10 people who need a house because they need their kids to live somewhere, if you have these baby boomers or these younger generations now moving out of their parents' houses or people who have lived with their parents till the 30 and have now saved up enough to buy their house, you're combining various markets. And even with a bad economy, even with the S&P and the stock market dipping from its historic highs, you're still at a situation where People want the product and there's not enough product. Right. You're making so, me sad. It makes me think that there's no negotiation that I can do that. I think at best you're gonna you're gonna see an adjustment. I think yeah. the world is in for a rude awakening when student loan repayments resume, when everything else resumes, everyone's gonna get hit really, really hard because I think, you know, and this whole Bitcoin nonsense, they've already began regulating. I I don't even want to guess how okay. many people okay. All right, so Nima, I'm not gonna go Nima, my tangent. So, so. NEMA for president twenty twenty four. Look, so, hold on. Twenty percent. Hold on, hold on. Okay. Yeah. What you actually said, if you listen through that, there were many things that were brought up that would help in a negotiation. Um, part of listening and part of negotiation, know who you're sitting across from, okay? So Nima brought up people who were, were kids that needed to be somewhere or adults that need to move or let's say the tax rules are going to change or let's say there's someone who has to flee the country because of something that happens or someone who died from COVID and their kids have to get out because there's all these exposures. If you know anyone, feel free to email me. So you, <laughs> need, to, you need to know <laughs> what is going on with that, that other party. And, and, and if you can find out details like it's hard, horrible to say, but if you find out that someone has a divorce, or mm -hmm. if you find out that someone's business is failing, or if you find out the opposite, that the business is booming, and, and they really need to get another warehouse, and you so have to help them get a space. Listening. It's all about listening, understanding who that person is, and who's on the other side of the table. And then, like you said, if you learn the secret, so if you were to find a buyer or, or someone that was looking for a lease, and then you found out that NEMA was representing them, 
If you Google Nima and you find out what type of lawyer he is, you could say, okay, this guy knows what he's doing here. Versus if you had some other lawyer who basically just did a residential transaction or who was a divorce lawyer who's repping a real estate transaction, you're going to know that they don't know all the rules and ins and outs. So all of these things are very important to understand how to, how to strategize your negotiation. Adam and I just dealt with a train wreck like that, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was the such a mess mm-hmm. because... You know, just wild card. They, you, it, it's not, no offense, but if they don't know what they're doing, like you know, to Eric's point, you have to listen to everything because we, they were taking positions that just aren't standard in the mm-hmm. industry. And as opposed to being mad, I was listening to what those changes were, and then under thinking about why she's making those requests, and then figuring out of the best way to recommunicate with her and politely tell her that this is why that's not the norm. Correct. You know, you have to listen to why people are doing things, and we got through it. That's what's important. We did. It was I mean, brutal. And sometimes, which is which is something that Noel and I talk about all the time, the power of two. Okay. Yes. So They're like wonder twins. Wonder twin powers. <laughs> but sometimes when you have another person to talk to. Did you say Persian? Another Persian, Persian. or another person. Okay. Um, what what we do in our team, and and, and Adam will tell you uh, or will agree with me, when we're in a negotiation strategy, whether it be it's mostly commercial because those are more complicated sometimes in, in residential, but you actually get two or three people together that are at your same experience level or just in the same field as you, you know, three or four people that are investors or three or four people that are, that are representing clients and you talk through the strategy and you actually role play and you figure out and you say, all right, I'm going to say this. Okay. Well, if I say this to Nima, then what is Nima going to say back to me? And then we go through it and we analyze it and you can do that with emails. Okay, if you have to respond to an email, you can, because again, anytime you're in a situation, even though Adam says it's always better to do it in person or over the phone, emails do play a part in that negotiating strategy. So if you send an email, you have to be careful what you're putting in there and you have to be careful how you're writing it because someone else is going to interpret it a different way and that's going to come to terms with that strategy or that negotiation. I love that. Role play is such a big thing. And role play in in real estate, getting out there and practicing, practicing, talking, hitting things off of other people, you can't do something unless you become good at it. Yes. You can't do something unless you practice it. So I love the role play. And it takes years and don't expect, no one should expect to be perfect. You know, I'm I'm almost perfect and I'm going to be 50. But it took me 20 years of <laughs> negotiating. Almost perfect. <laughs> I'm never going to be perfect. But it took me 20 years of negotiating and, ro- and role playing. And I'm still doing it to this day. I just did a role play with a couple of my team members um, two days ago to try to strategize on what direction to head in. And you don't always get it right. But the trick is you're identifying the strategy. You're identifying, well, if I say this, what's going to happen? And it's just great to have an environment where you can do that. And you know, if you're not in an environment like that, then you should change. Yeah. And, and just, uh, I want to go back to what you were saying about the differences between, a, we're in a seller's market right now, right? Mm-hmm. It is going to flip at some point, whether it's in six months or six years, I have no idea. Um, but at some point it's going to change. So on the, on the listing side, right now, if you get a listing, like I said, a listing is gold, right? Because the home, I don't want to say the home sells itself. You do the right thing, you market it correctly, and you're going to have 20 offers as long as it's priced correctly, just because there's limited homes on the market, supply and demand. So when it does change though, you have to show, okay, now it's a buyer's market. What am I going to do that's going to highlight your home differently and that's going to market your home differently than the other hundred realtors that you can interview right now? The buying side, I still do a lot of the same things, but now instead of trying to say, okay, how much above asking do I have to go? I'm going the other way. How far below asking can I go? But I'm asking a lot of the same questions. I'm trying to get them to want to work with me. 
and wants to work with us as a package, me and my buyers, the lender, everybody, the attorney, you know, because we are a package deal. So you're trying to get them to want to work with you. And you're also picking their brain at the same time to figure out what they have on the table. And if they don't have anything, what you think they would be willing to accept, how low can you go? So it's just kind of reversing things a little bit, but you're still building that relationship. So it's exactly the same on the buying side. You still need to listen. You still need to build relationships. 100%. I have a homework assignment for everyone out there. So someone (laughs) someone told me. He's not afraid to walk away. (laughs) Someone told me that too, because I was talking about negotiating, that we were doing this today. And they said, you should try and walk into regular stores just to practice negotiating and negotiate. And they're going to tell you to go scratch when you walk into Neiman Marcus and they say, hi, can I buy this? Walk into the grocery store and say, you know what? This bag of of, uh, oranges has a blemished orange. I'd like you to take something off. Actually, they'll do that. And, yeah. and, and see what happens just to get happen. into the, to the thing of negotiating. Talk to the manager. Listen to the manager. See what they normally do. He might be like, well, we don't usually do that, but you do it sometimes, so what is the Right, the and when you do that, which is an amazing exercise, just remember that don't become that person. But definitely do, <laughs> definitely do that to learn and to understand. Um, I thought it was interesting, and I was going to try it this week. Everything that I buy, I mean, not not my Starbucks or whatever, but everything that I buy, I think extra, I'm going to try think, and negotiate I think you should. It. I think it'll be fun. And I think you should get your son to videotape you from the side so we can all watch. So you can watch me yeah. be a, a, a very effective, powerful woman. Absolutely. Yes, but one, one last tip that, that I, I want to get out there because we haven't mentioned Just the yet. tip. <laughs> Just the, or the whole we'll get we'll get the whole sentence out there. Um, uh, oh my god! When you <laughs> just got when it. you negotiate <laughs> when you negotiate, okay? When you negotiate when you ask a question and you should be doing this at home at work wherever. When you ask that question because it's you really have a question you need an answer to. Ask the question. Give someone a chance to answer it. Mm. Okay. Most people will go out they'll just just day to day. Hey, how are you? How you doing? Right? You say that in a greeting. Hey, Adam, how you doing? Do you, does anyone actually wait and and see if Adam says, "I'm doing good" or "I'm not doing bad"? It's just become just like uh, a phrase that people say. But with negotiations, actually, you need to ask the question and then you need to stop. And one of the tricks that I do is I'll just sit there for ten minutes, you know, and I, and I will wait for the person to ask the question. And silence is so awkward. To answer the question, I'm sorry. And if they don't answer it. I will reformat the same question and ask it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, and to Eric's point, sometimes people just want to be heard, right? So even if they don't necessarily, they're not going to stick to that point, they just want to say their piece. If you let people say their piece so they feel heard and they get it out of their system, then usually they, they soften up and it's easier to negotiate with them and deal with them. So right. Listen to well, that's with exactly. everyone. That's with your spouse. That's with your children. If you let them talk, they usually calm down and they usually you get on a level playing field yeah. get on that playing field get them get someone to like you right yeah. so right oh, so right now okay <laughs> I, I, I like you we're gonna oh, we're yeah. gonna show you we're gonna show you right now we're gonna show you a negotiating tactic okay What's so that? because it's noel's birthday ah! okay, we actually have a bottle of, of champagne all right we got a bottle of voo okay we don't have ice today. <laughs> no so one one thing that you can do in a negotiation is become friends or become relatable. 
Okay, so right now, how I am I becoming relatable? Is always relatable. I am, and I'm not condoning, you know, going out and getting people drunk to have a negotiation. I'm sure people try that. Okay, but it's we're building a relationship. We're gonna have some champagne for Noel's birthday. We're now gonna all have an event that we've celebrated together. True. Okay, so even if I met these people for the first time. I'm going to be like, hey, remember when we had that champagne? That was great champagne. And that's a good kickoff. So if you know you're going down a road with someone, mm -hmm. you can always create that first event and, and make it work. So Yay. can I comment on that? And on the champagne? No, no, just relationships. So uh, uh, this is how important relationships are and why you should never burn them and look at them unilaterally. Um, I built a relationship with a, with a watch place years ago before everything went crazy. Should I shake this? No. No. And, um, you know, <laughs> the, the name of the brand was Automers Piguet, AP. I'm, I'm wearing one now. And great relationship, right? And I maintained it. And even when things got nuts, when inventory wasn't there, I actually became friends with the person I'm dealing there. This, this gentleman named Ari, really, really nice guy. And, you know, when I needed a watch, I needed something for my dad's birthday. I made him a call and I said, hey, this is, I need it. This is the event. And he was kind enough to actually procure me one, which is very, very difficult right now. Did it's you buy a bottle impossible. of champagne? No, just built a relationship, okay. right? Be I, and we you became were able to negotiate. I didn't negotiate. No, I didn't have to. But I was able to. to he was get able to get it. It's right? impossible to get. But it was because Which is we became we became friends. Like he's just right. such a nice guy, and we stayed in touch. So when you do do business with people, guys, it's not just a business transaction, right? It is like Eric said, a relationship, and it's one that you should nurture. It shouldn't be fake. You should Everywhere. have an organic. That's why you buy good champagne. And and what's going to happen is you're going to you're going to do a deal with one with let's say you represent the buyer. You're going to do a deal right now with an agent. You're going to build that relationship, and they're going to want to work with you next time because they like you. There Are you, you guys go. singing? Uh, and now I'm going to send Ari at AP Beverly to Hills a bottle of Dom. So hold sing? on, we're going to pop the cork, and then once we pop the cork, we're going to we're going to sing Happy Birthday. We're going to do okay. the abbreviated version. Can we of unmute everybody's mics and let them sing too? No. Ready? Yeah. One, two. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, birthday to, to you. Happy oh birthday, God. dear Nima. Noel. Noel. Happy, Happy birthday to you. Thank you, Are you guys. One? Thank Are you, you two? Baby. Are I you am, three? I am 21. So remember, everybody, learn how to negotiate. We will have bigger and better topics on, on negotiating skills. I dropped the weight on it. Weightlifting. Oh, anyway, yeah. So happy buddy. birthday, Noel. And Thank remember, you guys. It was tough you negotiation. Can, if you yeah. can visualize, <laughs> if you can visualize it, you can own it. Cheers. See you next Cheers. time. Thank Happy you. birthday, Cheers. Happy birthday, Happy birthday. twenty nine. And guys, for my birthday, please subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe on the My iTunes pod, <laughs> nice the I iPod, <laughs> iTunes podcast, Google podcast. We're on all of them. Drop us an email. Thanks again. Bye.